Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, February 12, 2023. It focuses on the brotherly love which marks believers as followers of Jesus. The message to all who will listen is the church, when it loves well, shows the world what Jesus is like. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. God, you're here, and your word is always able, with your Spirit's help, to accomplish what you desire in us. And so, God, we submit to your Spirit and to his teaching through your word, and I pray, God, that together we would hear what you have for us and that we would be encouraged as we go from this place and live out what we know. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is Super Bowl Sunday. Woohoo. I know for some of you, this season ending, career changing game matters about as much as whether your bread in the refrigerator is moldy or not. I know. Others of you are more interested in the outcome of this one game than you are about the message I'm about to preach. Your chief aim today is to cheer on your team to victory. If they win, your happiness will soar like an eagle. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you heard the name Kelsey this week? Yeah, you've heard the name Kelsey. If you've been paying attention at all to the NFL hype machine, which is churning out lots of stuff. I'll bet you have heard that, and here's why. It's because the Kelsey brothers are the first brothers in history to play against each other in the Super Bowl. Jason Kelsey is the center for the Philadelphia Eagles, and Travis Kelsey is the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Woohoo! Now... Those of you who understand the game at all and the positions that these two play know that even though they're playing in the same game, they're not going to be on the field at the same time. They're both on offense. And so we won't see them up against each other unless for some reason one of the coaches decides to throw them in on a kickoff or something. The hype machine would love that. It would go crazy. But I don't know whether they're going to do that. It's doubtful. So it's kind of a big deal. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to be their mom, to have divided loyalties, and like, who do you cheer for during the game? You cheer for both, I guess. Whenever one does well, you go, yeah, good job, son. And when the other one does well, you go, yeah, good. I don't know. That'd be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? And perhaps Thanksgiving's going to be a little bit uncomfortable this year, depending on who wins. But... Perhaps it won't be. I mean, it seems like these guys get along pretty well. (laughs) Seems like they're not going to have a lot of difficulty. They kind of like each other. They love each other. And surely the result of one minor little game won't change that. Be sure the same is true of you and your brother in Christ who's cheering for the wrong team tonight that you still express love, no matter what the outcome is. 
love them, forgive them, forgive those who gloat a little bit too much, console those whose eagles have lost. Not a prophecy. Don't stone me if the game ends differently. Uh, Valentine's is just a couple days away, and so I wanted to talk about love today. And perhaps a few of you care more about Valentine's Day than about this very big deal game that really matters not that much. Probably, but not necessarily. This would include those who would rather watch HGTV than ESPN. When we think of Valentine's Day, we usually think of romantic love instead, right? Instead of brotherly love. We think more along the lines of Patrick Mahomes and his love for his wife, Brittany, than we do the Kelsey brothers loving each other and trying to steal a peck on the cheek. We think about walking around with heart balloons trying to find another thing to go with a gift at Walmart the most romantic place in the world to shop. (laughs) We buy chocolates and flowers for the love of our life. We take those who are significant to us out to eat. And kids at school hand out cards to all of their classmates because we wouldn't want anybody to feel bad. But we're not going to focus on the feelings of affection that lovers have for one another or the I guess I have to give everyone a card obligation of third graders. We're going to talk about brotherly and sisterly love, the kind of love which we as believers are to have for one another. We're going to talk about how we can love as brothers and love as our brother Jesus showed us. Jesus said that this kind of love was going to mark men and women who were his followers, his disciples. His words are specifically, the ones that we're going to look at are specifically found in John 13, 34, and 35, but the context in which he spoke them speaks volumes. I think it's important that we look at that context. I don't want us to gloss over what happened just before he said that brotherly love was the evidence which shouts Jesus' followers. So take a look. We're going to look at the first few verses of John chapter 13, first five to be specific. They kind of set the scene for Jesus and what he's going to say. We're going to look at another passage, another section from the same chapter in a little bit. But I don't want us to miss this. So pay close attention. Watch what Jesus does. Because after he takes action, he's going to say something about how the 12, and you and I by extension, because we're trying to follow Jesus, how we should respond to his example. So you ready to read? John 13, 1 to 5. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is not basic everyday brotherly love. This is what in the world just happened, unconditional love. It's God-like love. Jesus is the the only man in the room 
who has any real power. He's got the prestige and the honor. He's the one who is, in fact, God incarnate. And he takes the role of a low, 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 low servant. The lowest of household servants. Because nobody else was taking care of it. Side note, I remember what my feet smelled like when I was in junior high. They were horrendous. I showered once every two or three days. Probably should have been more often, but still, uh, kind of stinky feet. These guys had to have had the most disgusting, dirty feet. They didn't have showers, no running water. They walked mile upon mile upon mile every day. Pew! Jesus' love for his disciples was greater than the stench. Greater than, than the toe jam. Greater than the grit and the grime and the athlete's foot. He loved them and showed his love to them by serving them with a basin of water and a towel. He did that work, and then he sat down. That's when things get interesting, and he puts himself back together, and then we're going to see what happens next. We're starting at verse 12 now. We skipped a bit there where Peter argued with him about whether he should wash his feet or not. But we're going to start at verse 12. It's in verses 12 through 17 that Jesus calls for the response that I hinted at earlier. There's a message for you and me in these words, so here we go. Starting verse 12, when he, that's Jesus, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Stinky feet are yours to clean up. Mine too. And not just stinky feet. This isn't Jesus telling us that we have to wash each other's feet each week, although there are denominations who do that on a regular basis. It's not him telling us to wash feet specifically. It's Jesus inviting us to follow his example and to serve others wherever we can, even if it's the low, 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 lowest thing to do. Especially if it's the low, low, lowest thing to do and nobody else wants to do it. And so... In the church, and if you are a believer in Jesus, it is open season for caring for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the hurting and the sick and the hungry and the angry and the worthy and the unworthy and the unlovable and the imprisoned and the addicted and whatever, whatever else is going on in their lives. It's, it's open season on caring for everybody and expressing love to them in practical ways. I'm reminded of Jesus' end times related parable, this parable that he told to his disciples. And he was telling them what it would be like when everybody was before the final judgment seat. 
It's found in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. We went through Matthew a couple years ago, and we saw this parable along with a couple other parables in this chapter, and it tells us what it's going to be like. So pay careful attention to the final words, especially, of this parable. Follow along, if you like, Matthew 25, 31 through 40. This is Jesus. He's speaking this, and he says, When the Son of Man, that's him, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When you serve those in need, They look like your neighbors, they look like your friends, they look like your fellow believers. When you serve those who are in need, you serve Jesus. You serve him directly. It's not like you've done it for him. It says here, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You've done Jesus a service. Do you love Jesus? Anybody here love Jesus? I love Jesus. Serve him by loving those in need at your doorstep. Serve him even when his feet are filthy and oh so odiferous. Serve him when you're hated, when you're rejected by those to whom he sends you. Just serve Jesus. Real quick before we... Read the verses I've been setting up. Sorry, it takes me so long sometimes. Let me fill you in on what happens in the verses leading up to verses 34 and 35, which we're going to read in a second. Let me fill you on what happens. Jesus breaks the news to the 12 immediately after this that someone in their group is going to betray him. Judas leaves to do quickly what the devil has prompted him to do. So did you catch it that Judas was in the room when Jesus washed their feet? He washed Judas's two feet along with the other 22 feet. I think I did my math right. Judas was in the room when Jesus took up the basin and the towel. So we love our enemies. Didn't Jesus say that? We love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us so that we might be sons of our Father in heaven who is kind to the righteous and the unrighteous. All right. As soon as Judas is out the door, Jesus begins speaking to the 11 who remain. And a few short sentences into this bit of dialogue, he says what we've been aiming for all this time, and I'm reading John 13, 34 to 35 now. A new command I give you. 
love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love, the kind which serves without getting all huffy and puffy about position. The kind which gives up rights rather than demands special treatment. The kind which looks out for the well-being of others is the mark of a true follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? What do your actions say? Hear Jesus again. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Disciples love one another. It's what they're known for. Everyone sees love and says, Jesus is man. Jesus is woman. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. I wonder what you and I need to do to make it so right here, right now in this church. We do a good job most of the time, but every once in a while I do something dumb. Anybody else? You do something dumb, you say something dumb, you act in a way that does not match up with what Jesus wants. <laughs> you get fearful and you let your fear dictate your actions instead of Jesus dictating your actions. Isn't it dumb what we do when we get afraid? We get afraid of being seen as a fraud or, or we get afraid that somebody's not going to like us and so we do the wrong thing because we're afraid. What would it take for the people of Pratt, Kansas to say, oh, those people at Pratt Friends Church, they're Jesus followers. We sung it many times. You can sing with me if you'd like. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. A kind that people see and say, oh, that's a Jesus follower. That guy belongs to Jesus. That guy belongs to the family of God. That lady is, is someone that loves Jesus. And loves me. And it's the kind of love that we're called to. The kind of love that we need to put into action. It's this brotherly affection, this love for sister, this friendship with those who are in Christ. Let's jump to Acts chapter 2. Yes, we're done with John 13, so you can, don't have to stick your finger there. We're not going back. But in Acts chapter 2, I want us to see what the 12 and the freshly formed church, how they're living out Jesus' command to love one another. Okay? 
if you'll skip down to the end of chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, you'll find the conversion of a large number of people. It says that 3,000 people believed that day. That's a few more than they're here today, but that's okay. We got high quality. And so immediately after they have put their faith in Jesus and he has given them new life and the spirits come upon them and they're learning how to follow Jesus by following the example of the guys who followed Jesus' example. Immediately after that, we are told, and starting at verse 42, what the church was like. So let's read 42 to 47 and see what the newly established church was all about. They, that is the church, the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me reread verses 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is the selfless love. Jesus showed his disciples in the upper room with the towel around his waist. It's the costly others-focused love, which sadly can be rare at times. Has the church lost the love of Jesus? I'll admit it, I need to grow in this. I don't often show a love which would make somebody's jaw drop in awe of God's goodness shown in and through me. God help me and you. Paul in Romans 12, the chapter that I focused on for my first two or three months when I moved here 11 and a half years ago, Paul in uh, chapter 12 of Romans gives me and gives you direction in living a life of love. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm not going to go into as much detail as I did 11 and a half years ago. But I want to read some of the words of this passage and think through what it might mean for you and I to live them out in fairly early 2023 and on beyond that, of course. So we're going to cover two sections. The first is verses 3 to 8. And this section is going to tell us how God has equipped us as the church, as believers, as followers of Jesus who love each other. He's going to teach us how to do the work that he's given to us. The second section, which we'll get to in a little bit, will give us a few practical ideas of how to live that out. How to live out our calling to love as Jesus loved. So let me read verses 3 to 8 first. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So loving others, being willing to serve them, starts with a change of heart. It requires an acknowledgement of God's work in you and an others-centered mindset. If there's any good in me, if you see anything in me that looks like Jesus at all, it's him. Because I'll screw it up if it's me. But he's changing me and helping me to live more like him. He's transforming my mind and my heart and my actions. It's the Holy Spirit's work. <laughs> Don't think I'm holier than you. Whew. That is a lie from the devil. I'm just somebody trying to follow Jesus. Hope you are too. And you'd say the same thing of yourself if you were up here. It's only with God's help that any of us look like Jesus at all. Amen? In the church, we're one, we're unified, we have a single vision, a purpose, or whatever. We, we, we're that because we're in Christ, not because we're anything special in and of ourselves. We love one another because we're in Christ. We serve one another and the world because the Spirit has enabled us to do so. The effective things that we do, that's the Spirit. The ineffective things, that's us. So stay in step with the Spirit. I think we read that in Galatians. Keep in step with the Spirit. I love how, how simple Paul makes it. In the church, if your gift is prophesying, prophesy. If your gift is to encourage, encourage. If it's to lead, then lead. Serve, teach, love, show mercy, all of that. Whatever it is that God's gifted you to do, just do it. Isn't that what he says? He's pretty simple, straightforward. Whatever God's gifted you to do, do it. Do it in his power for his glory so that people see Jesus. There's so much more we could say here, but for today, because our focus is brotherly love, let's leave, leave it as this. Love lived out means doing what God has given you to do for the good of the church and the benefit of those with whom the church interacts and with whom you interact. Okay? We're going to skip down to verse 9 now. We're going to read verses 9 to 21. This tells us more about the love that we're to have for the folks around us, even for those who don't treat us as we would prefer to be treated. So starting at verse 9, going through the end of the chapter, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay. Let me preface what I'm about to say with a caveat. I am not for or against a particular Super Bowl team when I say one of the teams in tonight's game is from a city named after the kind of love Paul is describing here, and it's not Kansas City. You remember your American history, don't you? William Penn, a Quaker, imagined a city in Pennsylvania which would be full of the kind of love described in Romans chapter 12. That's why he named it Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So the word that you see on the screen, you can kind of tell that says Philadelphia, right? It's Greek. If you look at it really carefully. This word, along with a similar compound word, is, the, is what verse 10 is talking about when it says, be devoted to one another in love. Brotherly love is mentioned twice in verse 10. The second time it has the added dimension of being a family-like devotion. Like the love between flesh and blood relatives that are on good terms. And what follows verse 10? Tons and tons and tons of practical application. It's like Paul says, this is how you love. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm not going to say all of the things here, but just reading through and going back and looking at what he says, there's plenty of things for us to put into practice. He says, those who love honor others. They share with others. They practice hospitality. They bless others. They associate with low folks. I got friends in low places. Okay, we won't go any farther than that. Live at peace with everyone as much as you can. Those who love are not overcome by evil, but they overcome evil with good. They don't curse others. They don't repay evil for evil. They don't take revenge. You saw all that stuff. I didn't read everything, but I said enough, didn't I? Yeah? Enough to make you want what God wants to give you and me and the church and the world through us. Do you hear the call to love? Let me close by reading a few more words from Jesus' mouth. We're going back. I should have told you to keep a finger in 13 so you could find 15 faster. But John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. This is Jesus. He's talking about those who follow him, those who are part of his family or part of his inner circle. And he says this to them, to us, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, 
You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. What was Jesus' command? It was to love each other, right? And to love like he did and gave himself up for his friends, for his church. Those who love like Jesus loved, serve, give, lay down their life. Those who do what Jesus commands, did you catch it, are his friends. This is the verse that gave our church its name. We call it the Friends Church. It's because of this verse that we call ourselves friends, friends of Jesus. Because we want to obey Jesus' commands in every area of life. The disciples wanted to be his friends too, and we want to be his friends so we love as he loved. Anybody here want to be Jesus' friend? Now, listen to me. Jesus loves you even if you don't want to be his friend. Even if you would choose your own way, even if you would go and do things that you know he doesn't like, he still loves you. But if you want to be in close, intimate relationship with him, you listen to his spirit and you walk by the spirit. You listen to the spirit and you obey his commands. That's friendship with God rather than friendship with the world. Whew. Well, we made it to the end. We've talked about how to love this morning. What does God want you to do with his word? Because it does no good to hear it if you don't put it into practice. Who cares whether you heard God's word in this place if you don't go and live it out? What did God say to you? Maybe he's getting ready to say something to you. We're going to take a moment in silence. It's one of the things that we do best as Quakers and as friends of Jesus is we, we sit quietly and listen to God because we believe he can speak to us. So just see if you don't hear God's voice speaking to you. Do this in response to your question of what he wants you to do and how he wants you to live out this command to love one another, to encourage one another, to bless one another, to bless the world. How will God love the people around you this week? Let him speak to you as we pause and rest in him and listen to his voice.
Has God spoken to you this morning? Give thanks to him. God, thank you that you have not abandoned us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to teach us and correct us and train us in righteousness, to transform our hearts and our minds and our actions so that we can show the world what you look like, what your love is like. God, help us to live it out in the way that we treat each other so the world will say, ah, Jesus followers, and how we treat them. God, we recognize that the way that we treat our brothers and sisters is the way that we treat you. And we want to treat you well because we love you so much. We choose to be your friends and to obey your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.